Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are worshiping with us today in person and online. Uh, We recognize that when we talk about peaks and valleys, dads are certainly not immune to the understanding of peaks and valleys like all humans, Uh, but certainly in the role of a dad, there are definitely peaks and there are definitely valleys in that role and that responsibility. We know about peaks and valleys in life, don't we? We know there are those times when things are going well, And there are times when things are going really poorly. And often when we think of this metaphor of peaks and valleys, we think of the the peaks being the good times, the times when things are going well, and the valleys as being those times when things are not going nearly as well. But life doesn't usually work that way, does it? It doesn't usually work that way where we only have peaks or we only have valleys. We only have the good and we only have the bad. Oftentimes, the two are, are much more clearly joined, and you have a little bit of the good and a little bit of the bad, and, and maybe when you look back over the situation, you can see one or the other more strongly, but oftentimes, there's a little bit of both mixed in. There are those painful circumstances and those positive circumstances, and oftentimes, God uses those painful circumstances in our lives to bring about change, to bring about good, ultimately, that we can't always see when we're going through those situations. Last Sunday, we began this series of peaks and valleys by examining the many mountaintop experiences that Moses had as he led the people of Israel. And today, we're going to turn again to the Old Testament, to one of these great figures of the Old Testament, the great patriarch Abraham, who likewise had several experiences on a mountaintop. But the one that we're going to talk about today, the, the, the time where, that we're going to focus today was a mountaintop experience that was not at all positive, at least in the beginning. God was going to call Abraham to do the impossible on a mountaintop. God was going to call Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. It had to be one of the most horrendous tests of his life. But in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that incredibly challenging set of circumstances, Abraham was reminded and saw in a very real and tangible way the provision of God in his life. In that way, the test of Abraham that he experienced on that mountaintop actually did turn into a genuine mountaintop experience when Abraham could thank and bless God. On that mountain, Abraham learned the true meaning of the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, or God will provide. And while that sounds so innocent and so innocuous on its surface, as we look at the context of this passage today, we're going to see that, that God was, God's provision there was really the difference between life and death. Abraham was truly tested by God. He was called to sacrifice his son, an inconceivable action. But in the process, Abraham confirmed that God was with him, that God would provide. And though his faith was tested, it was confirmed to be strong. 
what could have easily turned into a dramatic valley experience underscored God's care and God's concern for Abraham and for his son Isaac. And so this morning we're going to read this passage about a father and a son and the ways that God was at work providing for them. Found in Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1, we read this. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown to him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the, the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said to him, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And when they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, when we hear the statement that God will provide, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about God providing is not a life or death circumstance or situation like we read here in Genesis chapter 22. Oftentimes, when we think of God providing, it's in much more uh, mundane or menial kinds of ways. We, we recognize that God provides for things like food and clothing and shelter. And truth be told, God does provide for us in these and many other similar ways. And so we say grace or we give thanks to God before we eat or other times of our day as a reminder, as a way of saying, yes, it is God who has provided this. And we often need that reminder. At least I do, because it's so easy for those things that we take for granted to become so much a part of our life that we don't even remember or recognize that it is God who provides. Who provides the, the resources around us. Who provides the means of acquiring and getting those resources. And who we are called to give thanks for taking care of our basic needs. 
We give thanks for providing in these often mundane, though absolutely essential parts of our lives because God is a provider. And we say thank you to God. But it wasn't simply these basic necessities of life that Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh in this passage. In Abraham's experience, God's provision was even more direct. It was the difference between life and death for his beloved son Isaac. Now, at the outset of our passage here this morning, we read a somewhat ominous statement. If you ever were reading the history of your life and you came across this statement, I think it would probably make you a little bit nervous about what was going to happen. Because it says there, after these things, God tested Abraham. This wasn't the start of their relationship. Abraham had known God for some time. Years earlier, when Abraham was still known as Abram, God called him to leave his homeland and travel to a yet-to-him-unknown land. God promised to bless Abraham, to make his name great. And this blessing was later clarified to include a great expanse of land and a long line of descendants. God chose Abraham and developed a relationship with him that would indeed have eternal consequences. Now, throughout this time with God, Abraham was forced to trust in God in many, many different ways. No more was that apparent than in this, this promise that God gave to him of this long line of descendants. Because by that point, Abraham was an old man, and his wife Sarah was an old woman. They were past the age when it was reasonable for them to become parents. But God had promised them many descendants. To bring this point home and to, to the, make clear the absurdity of this promise of God, God had appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mam. There the promise was affirmed that very soon Sarah would conceive and give birth to a son. And scripture tells us there that it was so outlandish, it was such a ridiculous kind of thing for Sarah to hear that she actually went off to the side and laughed to herself. This is a ridiculous kind of promise that's coming from God. But in a short order, what seemed to be ridiculous, Abraham, 100 years old, Sarah, 90 years old, became parents. The child of the promise was born. Abraham could see that God, as God promised, God did provide. Now, with that setting in mind, we come today to this, this passage, this test set forth by God to Abraham. And in, in that context, it, it seems even more absurd than what it does on the surface. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Now, in case there's any question about what God was calling Abraham to do, that means that God was instructing Abraham to go and to get, kill his son Isaac. And that, obstruct, that instruction is, is so wrong in, in, on so many different levels. First and foremost, we, we recognize that murder and, sac and child sacrifice are, are wrong. They're evil. They're, they go against God's ways. Many of the surrounding communities around Abraham during that day, they, they practiced things like child sacrifice as a means they thought of appeasing the gods. 
And while this was early in God's direct relationship with Abraham and the people around him, it was well before the establishment of the Ten Commandments and the law with God that would come hundreds of years later with Moses. We know that the law says that murder was wrong. At that later time with Moses, while the oldest child was set apart for God, this was to be accomplished but in a symbolic manner, with the sacrificing of an animal. Sacrificing children was absolutely clearly outside the lines of godly activity. In addition, this, this child was Abraham's beloved son. The, the one who was being tested was called to, to give his beloved son. And anyone who has been a parent for even a second or has even thought about being a parent knows that, that this is an absurd kind of request that comes before them. And finally, we remember this promise that God had made to Abraham, this promise of a long line of descendants. The probability of having one child in his old age was, was great. The probability of having any more was, was beyond what could be imagined. This was a test of unbelievable and monumental significance. How could God possibly ask Abraham to do such an unthinkable thing? And this morning, as we gather here, I want to ask you, has it ever seemed like God has called you to something that, that seems completely out of the bounds of what is reasonable and what can be expected of someone who follows after God? No, you probably weren't called to the, the kind of sacrifice, the kind of, the kind of test that Abraham was. And ultimately, Abraham wasn't called to, to do that to his son either. But the directives and the calls of God can, from our perspective, seem like an extreme challenge that's beyond our ability to comprehend. The, the pandemic of the last year has no doubt raised many questions in people's minds. Many of you have experienced death of someone close to you or a trying medical diagnosis or the loss of a job. And no doubt those questions have come before you about, will God actually come through? Will God actually provide Will God actually do what God promises? Even more simple acts like knocking on the door of a neighbor to strike up a friendship or reaching out with a phone call to a friend can seem like daunting calls and tasks in our lives. Will God provide the ways that God promises? Abraham affirmed a couple of times in the passage that we read this morning in a couple of different ways that God would indeed provide. Abraham faced a situation that's, un, that's certainly daunting that was before him. And we can rest assured that, that hearing those instructions from God was well beyond what he thought that he could do. But here's the thing. Abraham still obeyed God. And he set out on a three-day journey even before he knew the ways that God would provide. Now, this was no small journey that was before him. It would have been bad enough if Abraham had to build the courage for a quick action against his son. But the scripture says they had to travel for three long days, three long days before arriving at the mountain directed by God. It had to be an excruciating time. But again, Abraham trusted in God, put one foot in front of the other, and made his way onward. At the base of the mountain, Abraham said to the servants who had traveled with him, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship. 
and then we will come back to you. Did you notice that last little phrase there? The last part of what Abraham said there? We will come back to you. Abraham didn't know what was going to occur. He didn't know how God was going to work. But he still had a confidence in God that somehow, some way, both he and Isaac would return. He didn't know how it would happen. But Abraham and Isaac carried the wood, the fire, and the knife, and made their way to the place of sacrifice. And upon arriving there, things must have begun to register on this young teenager, Isaac, because he said, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We're going to need a sacrifice. How are we going to take care of that sacrifice? And it's there that Abraham makes his first clear pronouncement of God's provision because he states to his son Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. This is, as we said, the first of these two pronouncements that Abraham is going to make. But this one is really important and really unique because it was before he saw how God would work. He still trusted that even without knowing how God was going to work, that God was going to work, that somehow God would provide. And how much of our lives are spent in that kind of a state where we've, we've heard the promises, we've read them in Scripture, we've heard and seen them maybe in other people's lives. We know that God is a God who promises and a God who will provide, but we really don't know how this is all going to work out. All we can see are the challenges that are right in front of our face. All we can see are the things that are around us that, that just don't make sense. Do we trust in the midst of that, that God will provide? That regardless of if we understand it or not, can we join Abraham in saying, God will provide? Well, finally, the moment had arrived. Abraham had built the altar and placed the wood. And no doubt that question continued to go in his head. Where is God? How would God intervene? It's getting late in the game here. And he bound his son. And we can quickly read over those words, but it's no small thing. I mean, Abraham is well over 100 years old. And he's dealing with a young teenage son who was certainly much stronger than him at that point. Without some cooperation from Isaac, this wouldn't have been possible. The implication is that Isaac like Abraham with God, showed an incredible amount of trust in his father at that moment. But we still can wonder in these unbelievable circumstances in which Abraham found himself, how could Abraham continue forward? How could he, how could he trust God in the midst of this time? Where was God at that moment? And it's there that the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a glimpse into Abraham's thought process. Because the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, It is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. With Isaac bound on that altar... There was only one final act in the drama. The question had to be going through Abraham's mind. Where is God? What is God doing? And that last possible moment, 
An angel cried out to Abraham and said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It was at the absolute last possible second. But God had indeed provided. God spared Isaac, and Abraham passed the test. As Abraham looked up, he saw a ram caught in the thicket. That ram would be the sacrifice for his son. And that's when Abraham could once more say, the Lord will provide. But this time, it was because he saw the ways with his own eyes that on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The words were spoken the second time, not as something looking forward, but as words of understanding, having seen God provide in the past. The boy's life was spared. And now in one sense, it could be clearly argued and understood that his life was actually never in danger by God because God had provided that means of escape. But Abraham didn't know that. Abraham didn't know that throughout this process. It is really a, a strange passage and one that's challenging for us to begin to get our grasp our minds around. Are there lessons that we can learn from this? Are there things that we can be reminded in Abraham's response that can in any way relate to our lives? Well, one of those lessons that Abraham learned that is affirmed to us is the affirmation that God is to be first in our lives. Abraham was tested in an ultimate kind of way, in a dramatic way. And, and almost certainly, God isn't going to ask you or me in the same kind of way that he asked Abraham. But we are still challenged in many different ways to ask the question, what is first place in my life? Is there anything in our lives that we place above our relationship with God? That's a really, really hard question to hear and a really, really hard question to answer. But it's a question that we are called to ask. Are there things in our lives that we place at a higher position than God in our lives? If so, the Bible tells us those things may be idols. Now clearly, clearly in asking that question, I'm not suggesting that we are called to go out and take the lives of others. But I am suggesting that God is encouraging us to ask that question. Are we placing our complete and ultimate trust in God? There's something really amazing that happened in this situation with Abraham, and it happens in our lives. You see, it was only after Abraham put his complete trust in God that he saw the ram that was there all along. If he hadn't climbed that mountain, and if he hadn't gone where God had called him to go, he wouldn't have seen the ram of provision that God had provided. Presumably, the ram was there all along. But it was only when Abraham followed after God that God opened up his eyes to the provision of God. And in a similar way, sometimes God asks us to say, do you really trust me? Do you trust me in the midst of this situation? Do you trust me when it doesn't even seem like the situation is going to work out? And do you trust me even when the circumstances don't work out from an earthly material perspective? Do you trust me in the midst of unbelievable circumstances? Do you trust me to be with you and to go through God was with Abraham in a way and in a time that is unbelievable to our minds. 
And God is with you and with me when those circumstances work out. And when those circumstances don't work out the ways that we think that they will. Because God is at work. And God's plans and God's ways are very often far higher and far different than the ways that we can even see or understand. Do we trust God to provide even in the midst of situations and circumstances that seem so out of bounds, so out of the, of the way that we can even begin to comprehend? That was a significant lesson that Abraham learned and that we're called to learn as well. A second really big lesson that we learn from Abraham is that God does indeed provide. God does indeed provide, and it, sometimes it's not in the way that we want or the way that we expect. But God does indeed provide. It's in precisely in getting to those moments of hopeless despair that we can appreciate that God is the source of our provision. I mentioned earlier in the sermon that many times we think of, of this in, in some of those basic necessities of life. And I think that's, that's often harder for us in a country like the United States where we have been blessed and where we have so many material things at our, at our fingertips. But it's in precisely getting to those points of need, there's precisely those points of no return, that we are reminded of God's true provision in our lives. And amazingly, having experience from God, we are changed in a way that allows us to move into the future in a new light. Recognizing that because God has provided for me yesterday and the day before and the week before and the months before, that there's a confidence that comes our way to move forward into the future whether we understand it or not. But that the God who is with us yesterday and today will be the same God who's with us tomorrow and next week and next year and whatever the circumstances of life may hold. God indeed provides. Abraham learned that lesson in a very, very hard and a very challenging way. And as we hear this experience of Abraham, it can jar us in amazing kinds of ways. It doesn't seem possible that God could really call us to do something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't fit our ways of propriety. But God knows far better than we what is best. Are we willing to trust? Are we willing to follow God when it doesn't make sense or isn't the direction that we would choose? Are we willing to recognize that it is God who is at work, God who is greater than the universe in which we live, and a God who invites us to receive and to rest in his arms of provision, of presence, and of hope? It's that God that we worship it's that God that we have the opportunity to experience a relationship with. And it's that God to whom we turn this day. Lord God, we are grateful for your presence in our world and in our lives. We are grateful that in the peaks and in the valleys, you are with us. Whether we understand it and can see the ways you're leading, or whether it seems like a dark mystery to us, we're grateful that we know that you are there, that we know that we can trust you, that we know that we can turn to you and can receive your presence and your provision. Lord God, on this Father's Day, we know and are reminded of the awesome responsibility that fathers have in our world, that fathers have to impact and influence generations that will come after. And Lord God, we know that in our own strength, 
none of us can fulfill that role that you place on our shoulders. So Lord God, I pray this day for your extra strength and your extra grace to fill the fathers in our congregation and in our community and in our world. May they see the opportunities that are before them. May they be living examples of the difference that you make. Lord God, we do pray this day for those who, when we talk about fathers, recognize the pain of a broken earthly relationship, who recognize pain of heartache that perhaps came as a result of a relationship with their dad. And we pray, Lord God, that your healing, your grace would surround them this day, that, that the hope of their true heavenly father would so fill them and so remind them of who you are. We are grateful, Lord God, that we can turn to you, that we can call you father, that we can trust in you, that we can receive your provision. And Lord God, that together we can pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.